This guest has the unique distinction of being the first pro MMA fighter I've ever had on the Iron Sights podcast. His name is Dan the Hitman Moret. Dan's got over 23 professional fights under his belt, but that isn't really why I wanted to have him on the show. That wasn't the main reason. It was really to kind of talk about what he's doing, where he's come from, and how he's contributing to, let's just call it the preparedness and self-defense space. The world of combatives and the dichotomy that sort of exists here between sport and, you know, what may or may not get you killed in the streets, as they say, is an interesting one. I mean, it doesn't take long to kind of get online and listen to, hear, see all kinds of different opinions and things. Dan's got a super level head and he's working with a group called Rogue Methods out of Arizona. I happen to really like these guys. I think they've got a unique take. It's different. I've actually been involved in it myself, but I wanted to talk to Dan because of his background and how he's contributing now, both as a professional coach outside of, of the company he's working with and his philosophy on training and approach to doing so. Guy has a lot to bring to the table. I had very little intel on him. And anytime you talk to a fighter, if you know these guys, a good number of them are very stoic. And so I wasn't sure what I was going to get. I really enjoyed this conversation. And by the end, even when the cameras went off and the sound equipment went off, I found Dan to be just a really warm, welcoming, welcoming dude. He is all business, that is for sure. But what a great guy. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to Dan Moret. You know, the older kids taught me a lesson early in life, and that was snitches get stitches. We kids wanted things we said and did in the absence of outside eavesdropping eyes and ears to remain private and secure within our little neighborhood tribe. After all, this information was private, and we were sworn to keep it secure so it didn't get exploited in the wrong hands. Nowadays, my private information has expanded beyond that little group of bike-riding marauders and now sits available on all my electronic devices. And that makes me feel pretty uneasy, especially after having my phone and personal accounts hacked and taken advantage of. The reality for you and me is our laptops are never really off. Our phones hold our entire lives, including family and work, and everything from credit cards to passports contain RFID. All of this effectively makes those little items little snitches. And this makes us all vulnerable to having our digital lives stolen. It's time to put a stop to that. And this is where Silent comes in. That's S-L-N-T. Silent offers a range of sleek RFID-blocking wallets, EDC Faraday bags, travel gear, laptop sleeves, and key fob cases with the added protection of their patented Silent Pocket Faraday cage technology. This elite signal-blocking technology is the easiest way to instantly enhance your peace of mind around how your mobile devices are screwing your digital life up. My personal favorites are the Silent Faraday phone and laptop sleeve. They give me peace of mind by allowing me to completely disconnect from anything incoming and or outgoing, including things that can negatively impact my financial, physical, psychological, and emotional health. So if you're looking for a solution to reclaiming your personal privacy, security, and health, go check out silent.com. That's S-L-N-T.com. You can follow them at GoSilent on Instagram and Twitter, and then use the code IRONSITES at checkout for an exclusive discount. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard me talk about BioPro Plus. It's a non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH hormone treatments. I get to basically experience the benefits of my own natural HGH, and I don't have to worry about any needles, any doctor appointments, or any weird side effects. The best part about this was is it started working super fast for me. I'm talking days, not weeks, and it's 100% safe. So the process to get BioPro Plus was super easy. I just ordered a 30-day supply of a nighttime and a daytime formula or morning formula. I hold this stuff under 
under my tongue for about 90 seconds before I swallow it. Right away, I noticed changes. One of the biggest things that came up for me was my recovery time improved. A couple other things I wasn't mad about. My libido went through the roof and my sleep was markedly better. Another downstream benefit of all the things that I mentioned, my body fat continues to drop and I haven't really changed that much about my lifestyle, my workouts, or my nutrition program. It's been pretty shocking. Listen, if you're interested in getting started on BioPro Plus, it's super easy. You can go get your 30-day supply by going to bioproteintech.com or you can simply follow them at bioproteintech and follow the links there. When you get there, use code IRONSIGHTS for $30 off your order. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. Dan, the hitman. Moret, welcome to the Iron Sights Podcast, my friend. Awesome. Appreciate you having me. I'm so stoked to be here. It's an honor, actually. I am. This is, you're going to be the first uh, pro fighter I've actually ever had on the show. It's been a long time coming. There's, uh, there's so many guys like you I've followed and watched and admired from a training and a competition perspective. And you're involved sort of on this other side of things within the the, within the preparedness community, if you will, which mm-hmm. is an interesting aspect. Cause I know a lot of you, a lot of the guys like you, when I say that just in the fight community, they really like firearms, but I don't see them out there training much, Yeah, which is a little bit different, but anyhow, man, uh, I want to get into that stuff. So welcome to the show, man. Yeah. Thanks. Welcome to the gym. Let's talk about this. So, <laughs> um, we got set up. So we're in this larger facility called elite U. Ruben, the owner, was gracious enough to kind of show me around yesterday and kind of introduce me. What an awesome facility. And then within that facility, you've got your own space now to be able to train. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, it, it was an awesome opportunity. Came together. Uh, Rube's kids um, go do jujitsu down at Fight Ready, where I also train at, just down the street. And him and his wife were in there watching the kids' class. And they were sitting along the sidelines and just being nice like I am after my class. I said, hey. I got self-defense, 4 p.m. You guys should take the class. And they both sort of at the same time said, oh, yeah, he should and she should. <laughs> and so I turned my head and looked at him and said, I think you both should. <laughs> and so, so Rube came, uh, you know, the next week. And he was like, man, this is, this is great stuff. He's like, I think everybody should know this. He started bringing in his trainers from the gym, too. He said, hey, I'm just going to pay for sessions. I'll have everybody come in. I think people should really know this stuff. And so he started coming, he brought the trainers in and then started asking me about private sessions and stuff. He said, I, I think this is super important. I think everyone should know this. Right. And we developed a relationship there. Then he asked me, hey, would you be willing to come over and work with some of my guys in the NFL that I, I train? I'd like to get you in there, work with them. He, he said, the way you coach and train people and talk, he's like, I, I think you'd be a great fit. So I came over, uh, worked with a few of the guys, a couple other gals and stuff. He works with a ton of high-level athletes mm-hmm. from collegiate people to professionals and everything else. So... 
uh, a couple of college basketball players, volleyball girls, different stuff I was working with. Put me in with the NFL guys. Said, hey, could you work with these people? I said, I can work with anybody. Yeah, we can, we can make it happen. I was like, you want to <laughs> you know, see where they're at and what they got? Yeah, we can do it. Yeah. So I'd either do sessions with them or just uh, add on to their end of their workout. It was kind of their little finisher. This conditioning is with me. Yeah. So we, we set that up and I looked in here in the back room, which before was basically sort of his garage and uh, storage. Right. He had a bunch of extra gear and things hanging up. a lot up. of space back here. It's a decent-sized spot yeah. in a nice area of town to just be using for a garage to park your car. <laughs> so he had a few heavy bags and things hanging up on the wall, but half it was coming down. It was a sort of kind of a little setup. I was like, you know, what are you doing back there? He said, well, really nothing. It's been a couple different things, but, you know, I said, well, it could definitely be something. Mm-hmm. And Here so we are. He looked at me. He's like, if you think you can make it something, you make it something. I said, Okay, well, can I come in here tomorrow? You know, this was a Saturday. I was saying, he said, yeah, I guess. So he let me in on that Sunday, came in, came back, and I had rearranged all the stuff, moved everything, took just rubber gym flooring he had, arranged it around the bags, hung up four bags, and turned it into a gym real fast. He said, hey, if you're a man action, I like it. He said, if you want to make something out of this, we can run with it and do it. So here we are now, mats, wall pads. Got a bag rack coming in, whole thing, full zebra mat set up. So, yeah, it's I, so, awesome. Yeah, this is all very brand new. This is all, I mean, that whole evolution has only happened in the last, like, what, 30, 60 days, something like that? Yep. Yeah, it looks fantastic in here. I mean, right when you walk in. So, just real quick with with regard to the facility on the whole, you know, I mentioned it, again, Elite U here in in, uh, in Scottsdale. When you walk in, pros, no pros, right? And this goes back to the, you know you guys getting the first interaction that you had and him recognizing what you had to bring to the table. And then you coming over here and recognizing what he was already doing and bringing to the table here. When I walked in here yesterday, cause we had Dylan Bensky in yesterday. Um, it, like you walk onto the floor and if you've, if you've been around the environment long enough and you had enough experience, you just know mm-hmm. you can, you can tell by the, there's, there's a certain vibe, but there's also just a certain interaction that's happening between coach and client. And to, to your point, I mean, you said that there's more than just a, you said there's a couple of pros. There's more than a couple. When I walked in here yesterday, there were several, uh, some NFL guys and some other folks that are very, very serious about their training and their, in their own endeavors. And the way that was being handled by the team, it's not just one dude in here. That's good. Right. And is attracting people. It's a, it's a group of professionals. And I think, you know, it says a lot in terms of the relationship that you guys have and him allowing you to come in here and do, do what you're doing here to trust you to come into that circle, to that environment and, and be part of it. Uh, because it's, those are, those are very important choices, yeah. especially particularly in the coaching game. And I know I don't need to tell you that cause you've been in the, in the game for a long, long time, just saying that, uh, to, to say it, I guess. And, and also I say it all to say, as we get into the coaching stuff, uh, when other coaches, professional coaches recognize talent and they want to work with those guys, that's even a different thing. Cause they're not playing stuff too close to the chest. They recognize the value that can be brought to the table. If we work together versus like, this is mine, stay away from this. Like, don't mess this up kind of thing. And that, that speaks to some of the stuff that I think you're doing with Rogue and the team there as well. But anyhow, thanks for having me into the spot. It's gorgeous. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this thing evolves for you. While I don't live here, mm-hmm. um, I can't wait to see, you know, how, how it kind of comes together. Because this is, this is more than something, man. This is, this is really cool. It's got a great vibe. And you're, again, like if you're a client coming to a place like this, you're going to feel it when you, you walk through it. the door. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, there's, there's an atmosphere to the entire place where you realize that there, there are people having fun and joking and doing things like that, but you don't come in here and just sort of get a workout. Mm-hmm. You feel it right when you get in, you're like, ah, I was going to have a light day. Like, 
And you feel I, like I'm going to push it today. <laughs> exactly. I feel like it's time to send it. Like, yeah, let's let's gear up and get to it. So it, because it's an every, awesome place. Because everybody's doing that, right? Everybody from the coaches, just the, there's just an attitude and a vibe and a seriousness about it. This isn't a hobby. People aren't just checking in and checking out. This is this is a major part of who they are and what they do. So yeah, it's uh, a serious team here that does it and, and works together, like you said, and that, that community and culture, but it's everyone that trains here too, whether they're a professional athlete or not, there's other people. It's like almost everyone that walks in the store is a high level person. They're a high performer. They're a high achiever. They're a motivated, successful, driven individual in whatever pursuit that they have. They do it. This fitness side of it is just part of what they do mm-hmm. in their life. But even if fitness isn't their thing that they're in, they're serious about it and they want results. And it's like, Hey, they might be super busy. They're an entrepreneur. This guy runs five other businesses, but when he works out, he wants to work out. So he comes somewhere that he knew was serious. And is like, I'm going to get the most bang for my buck. I'm going to go there for that hour. I'm going to get a dedicated service from high level professionals and we're going to really get after it. So yeah, it's a cool atmosphere to be around. Like you said, it's community. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of great people in here, awesome people to meet and talk to. So it's, it's an awesome opportunity. I think for anybody coming in, it's a privilege to be a part of it. And that's, I think that's where I'm kind of, maybe I'm getting at it. I'm not, I didn't articulate before. It's like, I'm, I feel privileged to be here again, coming in from other, from another place and just kind of walking in. It really does kind of recharge the batteries and re-motivate Remotivate me in certain ways. You know, motivation is fleeting, but there's pieces of this that I will take away, including the conversations that I've had with folks on the floor. And I think you know it, it relates to a to a larger thing about being a part of a community and and a culture. And I think you know we were talking a little bit off air of just sort of you know being out here. We're in Scottsdale. For anybody that's kind of been out here, spent any time here, you recognize that being healthy, being fit, taking care of your body, um, you know, and making that a regular part of your lifestyle. It's not something that you just do. It's, 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 it's part of your day, right? Every day, uh, that, that culture is very, very strong here. And so people have a lot of options. They can go a lot of places and that's a great thing for folks in the fitness industry. We were talking about like, you can throw a rock and hit some specialized places. Like I passed a Muay Thai place coming in, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, there, the, the, there's another gym you're working at that's 10 minutes from here. You know, we can, we can get into that, but there's plenty for everybody. It's just kind of what your flavor is and who you're looking for. But that speaks, I think, to the culture in general of people that are looking for professional people. So it's really good to see the smaller business, you know, uh, alongside the larger business. Cause I just passed like an EOS down yeah, uh, it's right there. Right there. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a ten minute walk from here, maybe even less. Yeah. If you're if you're you know double time in it, all those places can survive in a place like this. So that that in a sense, you know, when I when people hear me talk on some of the other uh, podcasts we drop on Mondays, we sort of talk about the state of the union, kind of where America is in our health and wellness. It's really good to walk into this kind of environment and just see people kind of getting after it. Yeah. Uh, like you said, there it's a community thing here, and it's there's enough there's enough for everybody, and people are are just about it, right? There's a, a vanity thing that goes along with Scottsdale. It's 100%, just part of a hundred percent. It's part of the reputation of the place and everything like that, right? It's one of those places where beautiful people are. Yeah, it is, and there's a vanity part of it, but it's just the thing about being successful and driven and happy. That's part of it too. It's like people aren't just fit. It's like, well, they're in shape, they're smiling, they're doing that. A lot of places you go to, everyone is walking around neutral or frowning. Yeah. Right. Everyone's sad. They don't look at you. They don't make eye contact. Hear people smile all the time. They wave. They, they do that stuff. Hi, yeah. They're very Everyone, helpful. Yep. Because they got their workout in. They ate something good. They slept well that night and, they, and they're loving their life. Weird how that works out. And it's right? crazy, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden you're nice to people. You smile, you wave. I don't know that guy, man. Hey, how? How are you doing? Right. I, it's, it's exactly, I've, had, I've been here almost uh, five days now and had been all over the place from Phoenix to. Queens Creek to Mesa to here. 
to Tempe, kind of all over the place, just doing different stuff. And that is the exact same interaction I've gotten. And I mentioned it like right off the, right out of the, the gate when I, I walked into a grocery store with one of the guys I was hanging with earlier, Tony, Tony Ryan. Mm-hmm. And um, I, people are friendly. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to blow uh, Arizona up any more than, than I probably already have, but um, it's always good to come visit here. It's always good to, to, to see people um, thriving and doing well and just to kind of see how things are evolving for you uh, keeps me excited about what's happening out there sort of in the, in the world that people are making a dis- difference and are making an impact. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the things you've done to kind of get to this place. Cause you know, and I say this all the time when people walk into my gym, they're like, Oh, someday I want a gym like this. I'm like, cool. Keep working. Check me out. If there's any way I can help you, you know, get there, but the shit doesn't just happen. Yeah. Right. There's a grind that goes into being, in, you know, able to take advantage of opportunities and, and network and things like that. Um, and it, it doesn't just happen. You've been, you've done a lot of things in your career. You're still a young man. Uh, but, um, I think, you know, to start right off for people that may not know you, I know you have at least 23, uh, professional fights under your belt. Can you give us just a little bit of a, a resume? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, in combative sports and stuff, I mean, I was an athlete growing up. We played sports. I'm from Minnesota originally and in the Midwest sports is almost everything. Yeah, everyone's sports teams. You go to Minnesota, you're not going to find a car on it that doesn't have a Minnesota Twins, Vikings, <laughs> Wild, <laughs> Timberwolves sticker or something. Everybody's shirt or hat is that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played all, all the sports growing up. Uh, big baseball um, okay. family. and Hockey? Uh, no, no, not hockey. Mm-hmm. Hockey's for people that got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's an expensive sport. Mm-hmm. All that gear for all those kids, every two years, you got to mm-hmm. get it. You're getting a half price when you sell it to play it against sports. Hand it, hand it down, yeah. Yeah, it's it's tougher there. So uh, I'd never played hockey really growing up. We'd skate. I had skates, and you'd play pond hockey. Mm-hmm. But I didn't play organized hockey. Okay. Um, it was it was basketball and, and soccer and baseball and all this stuff going up. And then actually, you know, kind of where my whole combatives uh, journey sort of starts is not making the traveling basketball team. When I was in fifth grade. Okay. Okay. All (laughs) right. (laughs) What are you, 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old then? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I was just telling Lindsay, one of the the gals who works here, the story of it. I was like, I was probably good enough to make the team, but I was also kind of a troublemaker as a kid. Hmm. I was a little bit of a, (laughs) you know, I was a little bit of a wild child. And the, my friend (laughs) whose father was the coach, he, he didn't really like me too much. Right, Dan's kind of like a, he's a troublemaker. He's mm-hmm. kind of a wild kid. I was probably good enough to make that team, but somehow I did not make that team. Okay, gotcha. Right? And that's a, he's a great guy and that's a great family. I was like, uh, he somehow doesn't make that squad. Okay. Well, my mom uh, at the time was dating who would later become my stepfather. He said, well, have you ever thought about doing wrestling? He said, I, I know the junior high coach and does the elementary stuff. My late stepfather, he owned a lighting store and the coach had lived above the lighting store before okay. in a little apartment there. He had given them a job, had a place to live, stuff. He said, I know the coach. He said, you should try wrestling. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I'll give that a try. Why not? And I went there and I fell in love with it. Mm. I fell in love with it instantly. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, this is, this is a different deal. Individual mm. sports is different. You know, and did the first tournament and I, I felt great. It was like a perfect mix because I smoked a kid, was like, like 13-0 and then pinned him. Mm-hmm. And then my second match. I got absolutely you destroyed. Got yeah. I got poked in the eye. I was crying and I wanted to quit. Mm-hmm. Like all the kids do is like, unless you wrestle, you don't have to do stuff like that. That's as hard. Right. That's a voluntary, very difficult thing that you're going to have to yourself. deal with. Because yep. if you live in a decent family, it's like most of my life's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I got food and a roof and yeah, sometimes mom yells at me, but most of my life's pretty good. Right. Until you're wrestling, 
and now some kid's trying to smoke you <laughs> and you're hurt and you're crying. My <clears throat> eye was bloody. And so you, you like, I win one and lose two or whatever. And you get a fifth place trophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're happy about it or whatever. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. But That's yeah. a lot of things in one day. Yeah. That's a lot of life lessons in one day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I went back to school and half my eye was all red from being pokes. If I looked all the way to one side, I had this red eye mm-hmm. and everybody thought that was so cool. <laughs> I said, yeah, I got at this wrestling tournament. I was doing this wrestling. And they're like, what? Really? Yeah. That's awesome. So that was kind of where that, that started for me and, and wrestled and played football and stuff like, growing up. And then just wanted to be competitive still after high school. Right. Kind of going to, uh, you know, was going to community college and doing that because that's what you do after school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional football player. Mm-hmm. Turns out I'm not all that fast. I'm not all that big. Mm-hmm. So professional football, not exactly in the cards for well, me. Well, you're not as big as some of those dudes I saw in here yesterday. I was quickly reminded. I, I wasn't cut out for it either as much as I may have wanted it. Like, yeah. now I know. Like, yep. yeah. I, I was like, these are monsters. I grew up yeah. thinking, like, I'm going to play middle, middle linebacker yeah. for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Yeah. And we got guys in here, Christian, one of my work with, he's 6'8", 320 pounds, <clears throat> and muscle athlete. I, I just met him yesterday. Like, that dude is... That's a different thing. It's, You're like, that's not a human. That's a different I, thing. I, without disrespecting the dude's like a mutant. I mean, you look at him and it's just like, and by the way, the nicest, sweetest dude, like we had a little conversation. It was great. Yep. But the point of that is, is like the realities of that are, you know, become very apparent really, really fast. Yep. Yeah. And with wrestling stuff, it's like, I was a great tackler. Mm. I was an incredible football player. The thing was, is like, I was like 150 pounds. Yeah. You're not going to so, hit Christian. And yeah. yeah my, my good friend played college football. I was on my team and, and the coach, you know, that recruited them. He was like, dude, you'd be great. It's like, if you could gain 40 pounds, like you could have a chance. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't work out for me. Right. So, you know, after, after high school, I was going to community college and stuff and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself. And that's where I found fighting. In the meantime, I was working with a guy who I wrestled with in high school. His dad owned a fencing company. So we'd put up fences, chain link fence, and okay. stuff, whatever. I built prisons and all this stuff. Well, we got subcontracted to work down in Iowa, building wind towers. And they would put up about 100 of them, you know. So they just cut through farmer's fields. They don't want to waste time driving all these country roads and okay. stuff. They'd play them not to plant crops. Okay. Cut through the fence. They paid us to put barbed wire fence up. Company's like, you guys are doing great. This is amazing. I'm like, we're putting up barbed wire. Of course we're doing good. It's easy. So they took us out one night. And you're 20 years old, but you can still get into a bar. Sure. Okay. Hard. <laughs> there's ways. Well, there's yeah, a well you walk in with a bunch of bearded construction <laughs> guys. They just figure, eh, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> so we're in there. And of course, like most people do, I'm at these. They just got these fights. We didn't even know. They just randomly got people fighting. And so oh, we're in there. Like, like a smoker type deal. It's in just a bar. like cage yeah. fights. There's yeah. no commission at the time, or whatever. So you just walk in and sign up. You feel frisky. You can get in a cage fight tonight if you feel like it. So half these guys, of course, got a couple of beers in them before they're they ready get to roll. There. Right. Well, like anybody else, I got a couple of beers in me and watching these fights. I'm like, I could take these guys. I was like, these guys can't really fight that good. I'm like, I could take these guys. And the dudes who I work with, of course, like, well, they're you should egging do it. you on. Why don't you do it then? Well, we'd do trips down there. We'd be there for a week, back home for a week, down okay. there for two weeks. They had those fights again in eight weeks. I said, I, I think I'm going to give this a go. I said, well, you know, like, may, maybe this will be fun. Maybe right. this will be my thing. If I get whooped, I'll just tell people I got fight with eight guys in a bar down in Iowa. You know, I beat Which six. isn't entirely... Very possible. Super <laughs> yeah. possible. Especially right, right. me as a 20-year-old kid down there. Mm-hmm. Sure, I was a smart aleck and a you know, calculator. Dude, of course. It's believable. It's believable. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you got in another fight. All right. Well, so I was always a boxing fan growing up. Okay. When I was young, had a heavy bag. Uh, weights and stuff in my basement. So my my first training camps were punching that heavy bag. I'd take it off from the hang from the ceiling, pin it in between the studs in the unfinished basement and ground and pound on it for a round, then hang it up and punch it standing up for a round. Okay. And then hit my bench press. <laughs> was this before all of this started? 
before. Like, so before you went out in this bar, in these bar or these these unsanctioned bar matches. Yeah, well, I mean, I was working out and lifting weights some, but now I was like, oh, I got to get ready for this. Okay, right? gotcha. So, now, so this is the prep. Got I already it. had it. Yeah, so this is okay. my, my fight camp. like by myself. I didn't even tell anybody I was doing it. Okay. So I fought five times in Iowa, just unsanctioned random fights where you'd walk in there and there was the promoter and the guy who owned the bar. And it didn't, for some reason, matter, even with they had a scale, but... Nobody's <laughs> really weighing well, in. So they'd weigh in and everyone weigh in. And then those two guys would walk in, they'd say, uh, you, you <laughs> and, versus you. And you'd go, well, how big is that guy? What did he weigh? Right. And how many, has he done this before? Right. How many fights has that guy got? Yeah. So I'm a 20 year old punk kid. It's like, well, I'm fighting some hairy chested farmer yeah. from Iowa, like 36 years. Like this guy's We're a not tough, in Kansas that's a anymore. man. We're not in Kansas but anymore. He's bigger than me. Yeah. yeah. But I went in there to, you know, five times in these just crazy random fights by myself and just smoked guys. I was just aggressive. I was tall, I'm left-handed, and I can wrestle. Mm -hmm. So just based on that, I was like, hey, I was willing to train hard and go, and I just went for it. So so, that, so how does that evolve into, like, the next the next thing? So, like, I mean, did you realize, did somebody come to you and say, dude, there's, there's something to this, like, you should be doing this over here or introduce you to somebody? Talk about what happens next. So I, I fell in love with it. You know, I was just like, this is my thing. I always wanted to compete, and I was like, this was it. Every time I lost a wrestling match, I felt like if we were just, if there wasn't those rules, I would have beat them. I would have been able to find a way to win. And I was like, this is my, this is that thing. And then I heard a radio ad for mixed martial arts in my hometown. I said, wait a minute, other guys are doing this? So in Mankato, Minnesota, where I'm from, Bill Huff is the owner of a Taekwondo school. And he just liked MMA and had seen it. This okay. is like 2006, seven. Okay. okay. And he just liked it and saw it. And he had some guys in there. And he just, so I went in there, checked it out. He said, yeah, there's three guys over here. He said, I like MMA. I think it's cool what you guys do. And he goes, I do Taekwondo. He goes, I don't know anything about your kind of real fighting. So I don't want to coach you. I don't do anything. He's like, I just think it's cool. You guys can use the mat. So I want to introduce you to some of these guys. I was like, no way. There's other people doing this. Okay. There are other guys doing this. He said, I want to introduce you to this guy, Adam. He's one of our best guys He's about your size. He says, hey, Adam, come here. Turn around. I know Adam since kindergarten. Turns uh -oh. out to be a friend of mine, Adam Michael. Oh, wow. We've known each other this big, right? So I know Adam. He's like, this is one of our best guys. Well, we wrestled together. We knew each other for a long time. I was a captain of my team for two years. I was four times all city. I was a conference wrestler. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All so this he stuff. knew. Yeah, yeah. Everybody we knew each other. And he never made the varsity lineup. This is a JV kid. We're the same age. I'm like, he's your best guy. Okay. To me, he's JV. Right. So I was like, oh, wow. So I go in there and we're training. And I start kind of giving to some of these guys. Even the dudes are bigger than me. And they're like, you're really good at this. Like, you should do this. We're going to get you an amateur fight. And okay. I said, what are amateur fights? <laughs> I love <laughs> they're this. Like, you got to do amateur fights first. It's like, oh, well, all right, well, I fought five times. I don't know what those are. They're like, well, they're not sanctioned. So that doesn't count. So we'll be okay. I was fighting guys who are pro or whatever. I just was fighting. Yeah. So yeah. that's when it kind of started. They said, hey, we got these fights. We're going to bring the promotion's actually going to come to town. We got a few guys and it's a good sized town. They're going to try to bring it here. So that was when I had like a first kind of organized real fight. I mean, can you talk about it, you know, just briefly? Like, what was that experience like? Did, did you, was it, did, was it kind of one of those, whoa, this is totally different? Or talk about it. Yeah, it was nerve wracking as could be. Like in those days, it was a little different. You'd show up and they just did the same day weigh in. They don't got all this money in production, but mm -hmm. doing guys two days, hotels, all this mm -hmm. stuff. You wait in. So 155, you just weigh in at 160. You do, they just give you an extra five pounds. Well, I went there. Hey, this is the guy you're going to fight. They would kind of give you his name. I was this other guy who was a wrestler from up north, kind of near Minneapolis. I was like, all right, okay. 
Well, we get there, and the promoter says, well, hey, listen, he weighed in at 146, and you're 160, and this other guy's small, so we're going to have these guys fight. We're going to have you get fight this guy. I can't wait to hear the stats on this dude. Well, he was a college wrestler from Wisconsin, and he's a blue belt in jiu-jitsu at the time, which in 2008 is a big deal. Yep. We didn't know anybody that had belts in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. We're like, what? And he's built like a statue, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm skinny at the time. I got a decent frame now, but it's taking me, you know, a, yeah. lot, a lot of lifting weights and stuff to get to this point. He's built like a statue. I'm like, all right, cool. You got to do it. You know, and I'm nervous. He goes out there. They play my music. I walk second. And it's funny because I have a, at home a picture in the local newspaper from the fight. And they describe my fight. Oh, this local fighter wins this fight. And they said he danced his way to the cage, even pausing to encourage the crowd. Well, as I made my way to the cage and I, what they say, pause to encourage. I was like, no, I had to just gather myself. <laughs> just put your shit this together. This big dude was jacked <laughs> under the lights in the cage. I'm like, oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> oh, shit. And I had to sit there and I just thought, uh, <laughs> you can, I, you know, I'm, there's like, you keep, you, there's no turnaround. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you can't, everyone sees you. You're already out. You're halfway there. And I just said, there's a way. You'll be able to get him. You'll get him some way. Like, he's a big, he'll, yep, if we were wrestling, maybe he'd get you. I was like, we're going to get him. And sure enough, back then it was a weird thing they had in Minnesota where there was you know, two submissions. So if you submitted a person, that was a 10-8 round and you would start again. They wanted people, their reasoning for this, they wanted people to get experience. So, uh, okay. so many guys are wrestlers, they shoot in, they get choked, boom, 10-second match. Oh, like, this well, makes sense. Yeah, no, okay. I can be on board with this, except for in your situation. Until you, we go and you submit me in 30 seconds and then I tap boom, and we start over in the second round, and I hit you with a decent punch, and you fall the wrong way, and you look kind of off, and they stop it. And now I win by TKO, and uh, you would have already won. Gotcha. Like, Wait a minute. I got a first-round submission, and now you have a loss. Wow. So thankfully, that never happened to me. There's a lot of fights. There's several fights where I had two wins, really. I yeah, had two gotcha. finishes. Right. So that was kind of the first one. That fight was, uh, you know, same thing. We kind of exchanged a little bit. He got me down. I got back up, punching him, and he shoots in. I got a guillotine. And he's starts tapping well, of course in my head I'm like I'm not letting go right. dude he gets another go at this so the ref stop 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 and I'm like huh stop what oh choking this guy yeah. so I made him pull me off I'm hoping the guy's out right because right. if it's out he, you know then it's over yeah and he comes back to second round same thing he starts to shoot a double leg and I guillotine him again uh, so I get these two submissions so that that was kind of my start that was just that crazy thing and you know people couldn't believe I was doing it um my mom wouldn't come you know, all the stuff, family, everybody else was like, oh man, like, this is crazy. We got to go and do it. She wouldn't come until I was like eight. No. And she was like, oh, I think he's kind of good at this. So yeah, that crazy Minnesota rules, an interesting one because I had 14 amateur fights and I had 19 finishes All right, in 14 fights. That's, um, so going back to the experience you got, whether you liked it or not, you got lots of experience and you proved yourself. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're doing it that many times, you're getting that many submissions in a single match. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. You're, you're proving yourself. Well, and, and you kind of had to back then because the, you didn't really get a lot of training in. I was just, we just had a few guys who knew some things and this guy was a wrestler and Hey, this dude's uncle boxed. And so he showed us a thing or two and you'd fight some other guys from some other town and we're in the same situation. So a lot of people right away were kind of dogging me like this guy's got 14 fights. He's mm-hmm. just, he's just kind of sandbagging. He wants to be an amateur because they ranked me in the professional rankings as an amateur. Because huh. I was winning all these fights. Like, man, he's as good as any of these other guys. They're like, oh, he's sandbagging. I was like, well, yeah, but a lot of these fights are 30 seconds. Right. 45 seconds. The you guy can't help even, that. The guy didn't even touch me. Right. So I'm not really getting all that much experience from it. Like, yes, I'm winning fights and doing it. Good but point. it's not like I'm getting rounds in. 
So I was amateur for a longer time. A lot of there's been guys who have had more amateur fights in Minnesota than me. It varies by state to state. Got Some it. places will do five. You had Illinois and places like that back in the day. These guys would have 25, 30 fights. It was more like boxing. They'd have 30 amateur fights before they turned professional. That's a lot. So I had 14 of them and, uh, you know, I won every one of them. I was a state champion uh, at lightweight in, in the amateur ranks, defended it a few times, beat some guys that were other champions and beat all the best guys from around that area. Well, this escalates because then you get into, you know, fighting professionally at a couple of different levels, organization. I mean, things that people recognize, there's there's UFC fight in there, there's Bellator, which is, you know, these are big organizations that people see and, um things change, right? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot you're learning at this point about the business of fighting. Um, you probably can't stay in Minnesota very long if you want to continue to do this. My, my guess is, like, you've got to go to where the fighters are, to where you can spar and train with with coaches and fighters that are maybe more experienced. I mean, am I wrong about this? Well, Minnesota actually <laughs> does have some some high-level guys and people. They Greg Nelson, who's my coach out of there, has mm-hmm. coached four UFC champions. Mm-hmm. He's had a bunch of people in the UFC and high-level guys. There's a ton of wrestling there and a lot of tough people. When you grow up in Minnesota, it's like you drink beer and you get in fights. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of tough guys up there. <laughs> Minnesota, Iowa, all these places. The only issue with places like that is you can't recruit people from other places to go there. Right. People from Minnesota, like myself, will certainly come and live in Scottsdale. Right. That's but my you point. are not convincing someone from Scottsdale to live in Minnesota. That's my point. Yeah. It doesn't happen that way. Right. So, yep, people move and go. And, and my coach, Greg Nelson, who's up there, who, who's a legend of a guy and an incredible martial artist, one of the very best. Um, he, he's so well-rounded and all that stuff. He is one of those guys who was not um, trying to hold on to guys and not let you get experience things and everything else. He said, martial arts is a journey. And I want you to have that journey take you as far as it can go. So I want you to go to these other places. I want you to train other spots. I want you to do stuff. Uh, and he told me that right from the beginning when I first got an offer to go out to San Diego to help a guy, Miles Jury, train for a UFC fight. And he said, I want you to go out there and I want you to experience this and, and, and make the most of it. And, you know, I'm thankful for a guy like that who's a mentor to me. Right. He's more than a coach to me. He's a father figure and a mentor and a, a man that you can look up to uh, no matter who you are and a great role model. Um, Greg Nelson up in Minnesota, he, an incredible guy. And, and he encouraged me for that. And, you know, it's one of those things where the martial arts journey now through him and through all of the work I've done has taken me around the world. Mm. I've been all over the world and got to coach and fight across the globe in huge events, you know, and been in big fights. You know, I've cornered against Anderson Silva yeah. <laughs> in Brazil. Yeah. Pretty big deal. Wild. Wild. Yeah. You know, in Japan, in Abu Dhabi, in Ireland, you know, all these places. I just go back to the beginning, and that's just because you got caught for, or cut from the traveling basketball team in fifth grade. I wasn't grade. good enough to play basketball. You know, I <laughs> don't think that? I would have turned out to be a professional basketball player with my, again, stature and ability and some things. Right. And I didn't turn out to be a professional wrestler, but this is about as close as it gets. Yeah. What, a, what an outstanding journey. I mean, there's a lot there. For people that follow you and know you, there's a lot of fights there. Uh, and you just mentioned it's taking you all over the world and that you're able to stay in the game, which I think a lot of people struggle to do in one way or another. Um, you're staying productive in that. I want to talk about kind of what, what things look like for you now, but yeah, being able to corner for other people and you still, you're still doing that, correct? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're still staying in that game. You're still yeah. training professional fighters, yep. uh, or you're training professional fighters. Now who, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what's a, what's a t- typical day in the life of, uh, of the hitman look like these days? Yeah. So it'd be, be- <laughs> between training myself for yep. professional fights, you know, as I fight for Bellator currently, like you said, mm-hmm. UFC in the past. Mm-hmm. And so training myself and then training other people, 
both regular clients and high level fighters. So typical day, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. Cause like today's like, we come to my gym to shoot the podcast. Mm. After this, I'm going to go and get in a fist fight with Kelvin Gastelum. He's fought for the middleweight world title. <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> Be a sparring partner with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing I, I give good looks and, and thankfully through my training, I can kind of give looks of different styles of people and guys. And he's fighting Sean Brady, who's a great mm. grappler and a good wrestler and, and has high level submissions. So that's kind of my look in there. So me as a six foot tall left-handed guy, I am now going to go and pretend to be five foot nine and right-handed, right-handed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> against the guy who means me great harm right. with one of the best left hands in the game, yeah. knocks people silly, has well, knocked out world champs, and I got to stand in front of him. Like, the... I, like I said, yeah. good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate that situation. Well, and here's the thing. We, we spar hard and we, and we go when you got to go, right? And there's a lot of stuff on when spar hard and how much, you know, mm. there's a ton of different things on that. Um, we spar hard, but we do it safe. He doesn't mean me great harm. He's not going to try to knock me out. And I'm not going to try to knock him out. I will try to strangle him, for sure. But that's different. <laughs> um, you know, so it's kind of nice. I get a little bounty if I, you know, get to choke him out and submit him and, you know what I mean, take one of his arms. So... So that's how the day, the day starts with the podcast, which is a little outside of the norm. But then you go, get, like you said, get in a fight with one of the greatest fighters in the world, right? And then what? Yeah. Then, what uh, then what does the rest of the day look like? I have two private training sessions after that. Got a yeah. couple of different clients. Um, and then I'll probably come back over here. Got a little work to do at the gym. Mm-hmm. So some construction stuff. Yeah, because um, you're putting this together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, built this whole thing myself you know right. so um do some construction things and stuff there then we have fights uh lfa's in town tonight so local fights and guys down there so you, that you're you're cornering for coaching? no thankfully i just get to go and enjoy and hang it out you know yep. what i mean most of the times i'm there i'm either cornering or i'm working as a cut man i do that as well mm-hmm. or you know coaching in some regard it's nice to just be able to go and, and relax and hang out so <laughs> that's um we were just talking about that and I, we had a, few, I had a, a couple hours last night to just hang out with friends with as busy as it's been. And, uh, it's just so good to kind of connect with good people. Um, so I get that, like just being able to kind of let your hair down for lack of a better term and just kind of relax. Yeah. But I, I think what you just described there is, you know, people see the end result, you know, they see you on TV or they see you on social media or whatever else. And, you know, Oh, this guy, but they don't understand you know, all the things that's, that are happening on the daily and the grind that, that it takes in order to get to where you're at and is, to be as successful as you are, whether it's, you know, wrestling in the fifth grade to, you know, fighting, you know, a professional fight or, or whatever, but running a business and coaching people at different levels because you're not just working with fighters. I know you have, you're, you, you're working with clients and other professionals at a lot of different levels. Um, and that, that's probably a good, this is probably a good point to maybe transition into kind of what you're doing with Rogue Methods and Raul and, and Martinez and his team and, and how you got involved there. So I have lots of questions about this, but I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to start this with, you're the first fighter I've ever had on the show, uh, professional fighter. And the fact that you've sort of, you, you've crossed over into this world of self-defense in a different kind of way than I think I see a lot of people that come from the world of fighting, I'm going to refer to it maybe as like MMA, mixed martial arts, maybe martial arts, combatives, and take it into the uh, take it into the self-defense end of things and preparedness side of things. Because I've seen a lot of things. And I think there's a lot of, uh, if you're in that world, and I've talked to, there's factions, right? That are, they're kind of broken up. Like, this is, not, this is not right. You shouldn't be doing it this way to, it has to be done this way over here. And I don't, 
you guys handle things a little bit differently. So I want to talk about that. And that's what makes you, you know, so interesting to me. Um, not just that you're doing that, but who you're doing it with. Because I know Raul to be somebody that's very, very calculated. Um, and, and his team is just full of good dudes. So you already get the stamp of good dude, you know, if you're working on his team, I think, because he, he doesn't let people in yeah. uh, to that circle uh, lightly. And so I'm interested first to find out as we get into this, how did you get connected with Raul? Because I, I heard a story, but I'd like, I'd like to hear it from you. I, I just hear the third party stuff. Yeah. He, uh, it was very interesting because we originally just happened to be reaching out. I was interested in firearms and stuff and, and got connected with a guy and, uh, had my first, you know, hunted and stuff when I was younger and had shotguns and things, had my first, uh, pistol when I got down here to Arizona. I was connected through him, and then I started looking for companies and things like, oh, man, I need, like, some medical stuff. I got to learn this other stuff, too. Like, all this stuff is important. Looking at medical kits and all these things. That's where I found Fieldcraft. Mm. Fieldcraft Survival, <clears throat> Mike Glover and the guys, and I was like, hey, I had a mutual friend through the guy who had helped me out with the pistol. I had a sponsor down here. He no longer owns that business and stuff, but a mutual friend, hey, I could reach out to them. They might be willing to work for you with you. You know, you guys can market through your fighting and do all this stuff. Okay. Reached out to them, got contact. He said, well, hey, yeah, we got a little gym up here. They're in Prescott at the time. We have a little gym up here. They got some guys like training and stuff. It'd be cool. You come up and like train with the guys, you know, and we'll just talk and see. Well, I went up there and, and trained with those guys. And it was you know, interesting stories when I tell people, it was like, well, you know, I'm like the only guy in the room who hasn't killed several people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we go on the mass. Not that you haven't tried. But not, yeah. that I, not that someone hasn't stopped me and said, okay, enough, yeah. before it got to that point. There were rules, man. Rules. Yeah, those are rules. <laughs> They're under different circumstances. But we got, we're in there, you know, and they quickly realized, like, oh, man, there's different levels to this stuff. Because mm -hmm. I'm tying these guys in knots. And they're like, what? So these dudes are bigger than me. And they're helpless. Mm -hmm. And they're like, whoa. I was like, well, yeah, you guys did this a little bit in your training and stuff, but for the most part, if you were going hands-on with somebody, you screwed this mission up long ago. Oh, gotcha. You really shouldn't be doing that. So they don't train. Like Guys will train, right? Especially some of these guys, special forces and high-level operators and different kind of dudes. They train for sure, but not every day no, they for have over a, lot, a decade. They have a lot to do. I have a good friend, Joe Dawson. He's up in the PAC Northwest. And the way I got actually introduced to him was on a post one day, he put up about a pie chart and all the things like somebody in special operations has to do, you know, whether it's diving, jumping, rucking, their fitness, shooting rifles, shooting pistols, understanding medical, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. Reading like, maps. All, like, all of that stuff. Like yeah. there's a lot of shit to do. Yeah. Like, so yeah, how much time can you really spend? So. Yeah, you're not doing combatives <clears throat> and jujitsu every single day, right. all day long like that. So yeah, of course. And it's like, plus I'm doing that the highest level, level and yeah. I'm in great shape. It was like, of course. So they kind of like, man, you should like coach the team. Would you be interested in like coaching our guys and like doing that? Because it was basically Raul who was like training and going there and then some local guys uh, who would come in and train with us and, and do cool stuff up there. So I was like, yeah, come in and train and do that sort of stuff. So that's where Raul and I met was really up on the mat there. Got it. And that was when he wanted to get involved. That's when he took a, a fight, an amateur fight, and I cornered and coached him That's in a fight. That's what I heard. Is this he, first and only? Yeah. First and only. He said, hey, I just want to do it and see how it goes and where I'm at. Good for you know? Yeah. And yeah, I was 37, 38 at the time mm -hmm. when he did it. And I was like most people when I trained him, I say, okay, I need to know what your goals are with this and what, what you want to do. Because if you want to be the UFC world champion, I'm going to tell you that. That's not going to happen. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. you're too old for that. You're too late in the game. Yeah, you're a tough guy, but you don't got 10 years to get better than yeah. that and be ready to fight those kind of guys. It's just to set realistic expectations. Here. It's not. And it was like, nope. It's just kind of it's like, I want to get in there and do it. And Trump was like, okay, we can do that for sure. And he fought at 185 pounds, which he doesn't have any business fighting. <laughs> he fought a guy that's like 6'3 and a big young dude. 
and he smoked him. You know, he did well. TKO smashed this guy. Mm. Rao killed it, and, and it was great. But we, you know, so I had a partnership and, and started going with those with Fieldcraft with those guys. So it became a real friendship because at the time that company was very small. Mm-hmm. That's Mike Glover and George Bell and Raul mm-hmm. and like me going up there, and then they some other guys are kind of filtering it out. It was like four or five people. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. it's a huge company, a bunch of people awesome. in different locations everywhere, right? And they're doing great things. And so we had a, a, a tight little group up there and doing it. And Raul be, and I became especially close, mm. uh, more than the other guys. We became real friends. So it was super cool to come on and be able to show those guys stuff and train with them, and then for them to train me in the firearm stuff. So my martial arts kind of, like equating it to that, I say I got very lucky because when I started training pistols and firearms carbine, I was able to do it with high-level black belts and not only take all their seminars, but also do private lessons. Mm. So it wasn't like I was just going to class every once in a while. It's like an accelerated learning process. It's like yeah. if somebody's a prodigy and it's like they just bring come in and they want to work with me, private lessons every day and do all the seminars I do and do that. It's like, well, they're going to rank up faster than someone who just does jiu-jitsu and takes them 10 or 12 years to get a black belt. Yeah, if they have that the guy's drive give and the commitment. Six or eight. Yeah, yep. He's going to win tournaments. He's going to do it. He's going to get there. So I was very fortunate to do that. And I applied the martial arts kind of training mindset to my firearms there because it's like anything else. Like, I don't want to suck at this. And shooting a pistol is way harder than most people think it is. Mm. It's not like a movie and you just shoot out the window and I hit everything I go. It's like, nope. Most people at 15 yards and you hold it in your first time, it's like, you're going to miss the whole target. Right. You're going to go, what? Right. I thought I bullseye. I was like, nope. So I was able to train with those guys and I was able to apply the martial arts kind of training format where I was like, I was willing mm. to just do rep after rep after rep after rep. And they showed me some things. So I sit in my room and just present Practice. over and over and over and over and I got really good at it because when I was young like same was like when I was training I just had to myself so I was in the basement on the heavy bag jab cross jab, jab cross mm-hmm. jab cross I'm not doing spinning kicks I'm not doing flying this or that jab fundamentals cross, jab cross and that's what I was doing with the firearms with them and I was having high level instruction doing it so I was able to get pretty good at that so I started AIing their courses I would instruct and do those things and then when Raul wanted to split off well we through field crafts, I was doing the pistol courses and things, but then we did combatives for them too. Okay. And it was just Raul and myself were the only coaches and teachers that did that. Other people did firearms and stuff, but it was just us doing that. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we ran that program there and had a great time doing it in success. And then when Raul wanted to branch off and do his own thing, and that was kind of more the focus of it because there was not a big focus on that in like firearms. It's kind of you do jujitsu and you fight or you do these things or you shoot. There's not that much of a blend there. And that's what he wanted to focus on. And his whole thing was low profile and just being ready and combatants, like not having all the kid and all that stuff, which gear is great and all that stuff's awesome. But how often are you running around with four spare mags and, you know, all this stuff? It's like, never, really never, you know, never. So what can you do with minimal gear? And the main thing being yourself, you being the most capable part of that. So when he broke off and did that, um, you know, my connection with him was, was super strong so i was like i'm with you you know the whole way and he asked me he's like you want to be part of this and so we like you said he built this little team it's a tight-knit group of guys and and we've ran with it and flourished from there and it's been awesome because we we just we train together all the time and i think that's the biggest part of a lot of it like you're saying being prepared and doing the stuff you have to train so like how did i get good at this and what do i do like oh well you're not a you're not a cop or you're not a, a special operator you don't do this so how are you gonna fight against like because i train it all the time i do it a lot and i do it at a high level and full speed like well how often do guys fight or wrestle over tools or or guns or knives not very often right if you if you're a high experienced guy in this 
if you have wrestled another human for real over a firearm, what would be like a, a ton of experience? Three, like four yeah, times? Like for real? Yeah. Mate, yeah. If you do that five times, like, wow, where do you work? Right, exactly. You're undercover somewhere doing crazy stuff and like it goes bad and you got to wrestle over a gun and shoot a gun. Like, That's a really good point. To have real experience in that, a lot would be like three times. Right. So you have to train it. Right. And get as close as you can and simulate the best you can. And that's adding all those things in, the different variables and all the different ways. You know, so so I, I imagine this has been quite the evolution from where it started to where it is now uh, and how you've, you've, I guess, evolved the training in and of itself. So let me kind of break here and jump in with, I've seen, so again, I kind of mentioned these factions and I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just see that <clears throat> martial arts um, is in my experience and just kind of being around people that have been doing it their whole life, it, obviously there is, there's a lineage behind many of these things, whether it's jujitsu or, uh, you know, we we'll start looking into the bladed stuff or any, any, anything, uh, that comes from like, and it, it's usually played that, that lineage is played close to the chest. This is how we do it. We give this information to these people. We give it to them in this way. We really respect it. We don't disrespect, we don't try and do different things with it. Um, you ask permission, you know, before you go and do the next thing. If you're going to open up a studio and start teaching this stuff, you have to be given sort of the blessing to do that. And then, you know, and so what that does is that, that creates this, again, keep your sort of your friends close and your enemies closer kind of thing. Really, really play it tightly. And, play play the curriculum tightly uh and you know again we're not we're not getting outside the framework of what we do here i think that's good because it keeps it very pure and and then it can be passed on in the way that it was originally intended to be passed on but when you get into the realities of how situations can go right and the reality of it is it could go whatever way, right? And you start adding in it. Okay, so if you're in the blade stuff, what happens when a gun gets thrown in? Because that's it's now it's an entirely different situation. So all the things that I did to train against the blade, while some of that stuff could be effective, um, you know, when a firearm's involved, it's still a very different situation. Yeah. Um, and and I'll, I'll use this one as an example because I, for a while there, we saw a lot of jujitsu guys trying to teach quote-unquote self-defense or saying they're teaching self-defense because at some point in a class or maybe they have a class on the schedule where they throw, throw a, you know, a rubber knife onto the mat or a blue gun onto the mat and they're trying to take the jiu-jitsu and say, this is how you'd use the jiu-jitsu to, to defend against this. And it got exposed over time. I mean, people coming out just going, hey, man, that, that's probably not a good thing to be teaching because here's the realities of that. Like you're, you're, you're taking, you're trying to bring context to something that doesn't have correct context. So I wonder as you guys have kind of seen that kind of happen and how you've evolved your, how you've evolved your own program. And I've been involved in it. I've, I've taken some, some classes from, from you guys. How do you look at this from, from your position now, looking out and kind of seeing what other people are doing? And you're a professional and I know you're going to give me a professional answer, but what frustrates you? What gets, what gets, yeah. what, where, where are you challenged with this and, and how do you kind of come to some resolve with what's going on and against what you guys are doing? Well, some of the stuff that, that'll frustrate you, you see is like you said, people being stuck in like one way or thought, or like, this is my style and mm -hmm. this is my thing and this is what works as opposed to being open and willing to like accept other ideas and, and try different things and to add those things. Right. It's like, you're taking out of context is different. You know, whether there's tools involved or not, jujitsu is great until I can kick you in the face 
and, you know, or stomp your head. Well, mm. now it's different. You might think twice about playing the guard, mm-hmm. grabbing for my, you know, a pant leg. Different situation now. So a lot of guys that aren't willing to to kind of accept that and, and look at different things in different ways. Um, you know, one of the things that frustrates me some of the times in the industry is like, guys, people just talking down on each other. Yeah, There's so many people that that their promotion of their product or course or whatever they're doing is saying that everyone else is is rooted in is yeah shitting on other people oh their dogma sucks and they train this and he's from that school so you're going to learn the wrong thing and their whole thing is putting someone else down instead of hey this is what we're doing and these are our thoughts and this is where we're going with it you're focusing on someone else and what they're doing wrong which is a problem overall in society and specifically also again in this industry you know i look at it as it's all martial arts right that's where a lot of this stuff started from if you look at old martial arts back in the days, like, well, yeah, they had swords and bow staffs and things like that. There was weapons involved. Well, most people now don't carry a sword around or a long <laughs> bow staff or stick. Mm-hmm. You carry a pistol and a knife. Mm-hmm. That's most most common. Those are the ones now. But it's all still martial arts. So, yes, there are parts of jujitsu that help and will work, mm-hmm. but not just jujitsu by itself. All right? So you have to be willing to integrate these things and mix it, which is part of what I do as a mixed martial artist, mm-hmm. is I take all the things and you try to put them into context of like, this is what will work in this situation and this will help you in that. I teach a self-defense course down the street at Fight Ready MMA and my self-defense course would be like, well, what is that? What are you doing in there? I said, it's not hokey, weird stuff like this or death touch or any of this kind of thing. It's fundamentals and basics of wrestling and jujitsu and boxing and kickboxing and running away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how do you blend those things and how can you become the most effective? How can I block someone if they try to hit me? How can I make it hard for someone to grab me or hit me? Right? And these are all things from jiu-jitsu and wrestling. It's like all of it together. So my self-defense class isn't just jiu-jitsu. Some of the days you're going to be hitting pads. Mm-hmm. And some of the days you're going to be on the ground in the gi, and some of the days you'll be doing both things. And we're going to work at how best to do those things. And it's, you have to be willing to adapt and, and add in all the variables and then to be able to take specific things from that stuff and be able to do it. It's hard to do. We talked a little about before about, you know, the pie chart, all the things you have to do. So mm-hmm. for someone to learn self-defense, it's the same kind of thing. There's mm-hmm. a lot that goes into that and it's going to be a little different for everyone based on who you are, what you, you know, where you're at in your life and your, your goals and what your thoughts are and defending yourself or your loved ones, your pie chart's going to look different than mine's going to look different right. than someone else's. So being willing and, and, able to adapt those things, I think is, is really big as a coach. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to something I said there about the jujitsu and applying it to the self-defense situation or whatever. I, I don't want people to think that I don't think there's any value in that at all. That's me sort of covering my ass there because I, <laughs> I highly respect what happens in, in jujitsu schools everywhere and particularly on the combative side of things, particularly like we're talking about law enforcement. I think jujitsu is highly valuable for learning how to go hands-on with somebody when you are confined it to a set most of the uh, or a set of rules and responsibilities like what is legal what can i do how can i or can't i put hands on somebody what am i legally allowed to do and there are people that have adapted jujitsu you know to be able to help a, a like a law enforcement officer be more effective and still stay within the confines of the law and not get themselves into any more trouble than they're already getting themselves into in that situation yeah. and you know whether they want to or not. Yeah. Uh, but going, going back, you said something about like taking these pieces from each and evolving it and understanding, you know, how to grow within it and do different things. So I hear, you know, people talk about like, this is my system, right? This is like, this is the curriculum. Um, 
and to me, and I think because what I've seen and kind of what I've heard, what I've observed from the outside, and by the way, this is an area that I have not explored a ton of. This is I'm having this conversation with you as part of my journey. Mm-hmm. I, I want to do that more in the future. But I think when you use words like that, like this is a system, when you say it's a system, it means there's a very specific right and left parameter there that you have to stay within. And what I hear you saying and what I've experienced through the group of guys that you work through is we're not talking about a system here. We're talking about problem solving, and there's going to be many, many, many different problems that are out there. I'm not trying to teach you how to solve each problem. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give you a set of skills or make you aware of a set of skills that you can go back and build upon and understand that there will never be a system to solving all the problems in the world, right? You, you, you have to be willing and and open to explore all these different things. I think that's the importance of training and training with high level people that can throw these problems at you so that you can evolve that uh, in a way that makes sense for the student eventually who doesn't have the level of experience or and isn't ever going to get the level of experience that you guys have mm-hmm. or in you specifically. Yeah. So my, so the question in all this is, is like, if I'm a, if I'm, I'm, I'm average Joe, man, and I'm just, I'm trying to fill all the things on my pie chart, right? Including, you know, have a family, be a dad, right? Have a job, right? Eat, sleep, you know, and, and, and train firearms as frequently as I can. And, you know, train my combatives as frequently as I can and get to the gym and work out and get my cardio done and, and all that kind of stuff. What, what advice do you have for the person that doesn't have a ton of experience around this, but knows, understands there's a problem, they're a problem where that they, they lack skills there? Mm-hmm. Where do they start? Where should they start with this stuff? I think if you're, if you're looking at that chart and all those things, the easy, think about where you get the most value for your time, right? And what's going to apply to the most thing. So first I tell people on that, it would be like fitness because mm-hmm. it affects your life overall in every single area. Combatives and firearms only affect you in self-defense in these certain situations. So they are important and they're good. But your fitness also affects that. And you're, that's going to set the tone for everything else you can do. If you're in shape, if you're healthy, you're watching what you eat, you sleep well, you don't drink every single night, you, don't, you know what I mean? You take care of yourself. You'll be able to do all those other things. Your pie chart got bigger. Mm-hmm. There's more room now because your capacity is more. You're able to do more things. Take care of yourself and your fitness there. If you're trying to fill it with self-defense and figure all this stuff out and, and take care of yourself, I think seek out, you know, the best people you can, the professionals, and someone who's like willing to adapt it, like I'm saying there, for you. And that's where I try to just like the, the self-defense class. That's two days a week for someone to come. If they only do that, they will get basic understandings of this is how I wrestle. This is how I down block. This is how I can sprawl to not get taken down. This is how I get back up. And then you learn some basic jiu-jitsu stuff because you can't, I can't make you a black belt mm. in jiu-jitsu and then give you the 20-some years of wrestling experience right. that I have. And then also I'm going to make you a, a professional boxer and we're <laughs> going to do that and your hands are going to be super sharp. You probably can't gain all those things like you said. But if you can get the right way to just get a little bit of those basics, right? And find someone that can tell you based on who you are, where you're at, your size, your gender, your, all these things, what are the most applicable things for you? Mm-hmm. Right. If you're a 120 pound female, I will do some striking things with you because I think it's important and it will help. But that's not your biggest strength or, or, or attribute you're going to have. If you start throwing hands at some guy who's a full grown man, it's like, even if you hit him clean, he's still going to be coming. It, it's just not going to be the right. best thing for you. Right. So you're not doing boxing. But if you can focus on 
defensive wrestling, agility. You're able to move. They can't grab a hold of you. This sort of stuff, that's much more effective. Running away. Running, right? <laughs> Shuffling, moving side to side, having bounce and coordination. How can I juke and jive a couple of times? How can I get low and get wide so mm. they can't just grab a hold of me and put me down, make it harder? That's your focus there. Okay, we're going to do some striking. Well, it's probably going to be elbows and stuff inside. You're going to be doing that. It's a little more effective. It's easier than throwing hands with somebody. And throwing hands is risky. You might break your hand. Mm -hmm. You might miss. You might, you know, do those things. So you got to be able to understand it and try to find someone that can help you put it in the right context. Hey, this is where you're at and this is what your goals are. Okay, well, then this is the path. Let's prioritize these things in the right way. Right? I think what I just heard you say there in a nutshell, and, and this is me saying that, not you, is that there is never a one-size-fits-all to any of this. Mm -hmm. And you, you cued on, on music to my ears. Cause this is what I keep, I tell people all the time or, you know, when they ask me certain questions about things, you have to have capacity, right. To do this. And I, I hear people go, well, I'm going to join the local BJJ school and, you know, but I can only go two days a week. I'm like, okay, so that's great. Like something's better than nothing, but let's talk about what do you expect to get out of that? Like, well, you know, I know it's going to improve my fitness. Absolutely. Getting on the mat will improve your fitness um, until it doesn't anymore at two days a week. Mm -hmm. Right. And what do you reasonably expect to learn? How much do you reasonably expect to take away? Well, you know, becoming, you know, getting through your white belt to get to a blue belt takes years, particularly at two days a week. And I mean, am I wrong? If somebody's giving you a blue belt in, in under two years and you're only going two days a week, I'd be questioning, where yeah. I'm going. I'm going to see the list of tournaments that you won. <laughs> right. I want to see you on the map. You better be like a phenom, you right? Better be, yeah. Right. So I think that's something that people need to be aware of as they're out there spending their money, making investments and asking questions because people will take your money. Right. And yep. there's a long list of people that will take your money. But <clears throat> what do you reasonably expect to get out of that from a learning perspective if you're just getting your ass kicked because you're out of shape? Right. You, you know, if you're just all you can think about is you can't breathe. Not because somebody's choking you out, but yeah. because you just don't have the physical capacity to actually get through an hour of, of jujitsu, right? Which includes the warm up, right? The skill for the day, right? Yeah. The practicing the skill, yeah. the 20 minutes max of sparring that you're doing, whatever, to learn that skill and then get out of there. Like, well, how much are you really going to reasonably take away from that? So, I, my point of this is, is if you're that person, go get fit. Yep. Invest your money or your time into, you know, taking care of your, 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 your fitness, your strength, your, your, your power, your cardiovascular fitness and things like that. And I'm, I'm not trying to, again, put words in your mouth or repeat anything you just said, but that way, when you go to the gym, you have capacity to be able to absorb the things that guys like Dan are going to be teaching you, right? Yep. Whatever those things are for you. So I think there's a lot of false hope and a uh, sense of overconfidence in, oh, I train this way a couple of days a week. Well, okay, but that's just go back to the pie. Just one small piece of the larger pie. What gives you the bet? What puts you in the best position to take advantage of all the time that you do put into your, your pie on, on those kind of things. It's, again, there is no one size fits all. And I think again, going back to what I've seen, what I see you doing uh, with, with the road guys is that it is that way. It's like, hey, like you're seeing us do a certain thing, like maybe on social media, which grabs your attention. It's the marketing. It's the advertisement for what it is. But mm -hmm. there's so much within there that you get when you go and you're actually in front of you guys and you're, you're talking to them. You get that it's way more than, yeah, the blue gun with the sim rounds and the, you know. Yeah. We, <laughs> and we the, see so many of those, like you're saying, is like, because uh, especially rogues. Instagram, it's like, yeah, it's a little highlight reel and it's fun. It's, it's fast paced because you're like, yeah, cool. That's what it looks like. Sweet training. Like, man, they're really getting after it. 
And so, like you're saying, we'll see a lot of people, and maybe they're doing it before the rogue ones, or they're copying it either way. Mm-hmm. And there's just two guys randomly, and then they throw a blue gun in there. There's no context to it, and they have no training and like idea of what to get. So you're just wrestling for and crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a scrum. Yeah, and you're just having a scrum there and see if we can kick it back and do something wild and and figure it out. Well, it's like we put some context, like you're saying, to that stuff, and. What we try to give, like you're saying, instead of curriculums or systems or this, is a concept. If you can understand concepts in a whole, then you can apply different skills and things mm-hmm. to that and make it work for you and fit. We will teach you skills and we'll give you certain techniques and things like that. The concept is the biggest takeaway. What is the goal of what I'm trying to do here? Okay, keep the firearm away from you. That's the context of the whole thing. How I do that, okay, cool. Maybe I do it this way, you do it that way, whatever. Can you keep you from getting hold of my gun? That's the, the concept. Okay, here's now we put it into context. So a lot of times you don't see in those highlight reels like, hey, they started like this in this position for this reason. You're never going to see that in a 15 or a 30 second reel. Yeah, it's no. like look, people start drawing lines to this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. You know, these guys teach it this way and these guys are teaching that you don't know anything from what you're seeing in those 30 second videos. I think that's the, the point. And that's why I like going long form here. And, and the other thing that I, I took away from my experience with the full contact gunfighter specifically was how the information was presented. And this is, this goes back to understanding how to coach people. Um, <clears throat> if I'm trying to get somebody to learn a skill, like a, a, a high level cognitive skill or physical skill or whatever it is, I need to hit them with that when they're fresh right? Not after they've been trashed. Yeah. So the way you might think about the flow going, uh, um, going through, um, maybe for, for those folks out there that are sort of in, that have taken lots of firearms instruction kind of, kind of courses, it sort of starts slow with the real basic fundamental stuff, which are the skills that you have to have to build into whatever, wherever we're going to be at the end of the day. Uh, well, that's a little different on the firearms range than it is when we're talking combatives, because, well, firearms and shooting is somewhat physical, right? It gets physical depending on the environmental things and the things we might be doing for the day. Much different when we're talking combatives, yeah. right? So while you, you think about the flow, I really uh, respect how you guys have adjusted the flow and the te- how the, the material is presented to get the, the higher level concepts and then the skills that go into those concepts out in the front before you are taxing people physically and mentally at the same time. Yep. Because... The, the, the thing is, is like in, in order to learn these skills and really apply them, this is not something you can just, you know, pussyfoot around with. You have to go. Yep. Like it, it, it has to go full speed ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think a lot of people, you know, kind of recognize that they see it as cool and I should learn these skills, but they've never gone full speed ahead ever in their life. So they wind up in one of these situations like, holy shit. Yeah. It gets pretty scary and pretty real, real pretty fast. So on top of that, if I'm also physically taxed, and I don't really understand the concepts, then what am I doing? I'm just being thrown into a scrum and yeah. I don't take anything away from it to your, to your point. Yeah. I'm just going to try to hold on and hope they say time. And I still barely got a hold of this. And I didn't advance. I didn't think any of the techniques or the concepts we were talking about and ways to get it back or what I should do when I should hold it, how, and you know, nope, I'm just trying to get through it then at that point. It's like, well, you're not learning anything. One, and I'm not teaching anything, so neither of us are getting anything out of this. And, and I don't want to see that. So that's, he, Raul's done a great job with that. He's fortunate enough to be a, a great teacher and he's a mentor. And he looks at other people and learns well. So he, 
he figures out how to coach people too. He's not just knows what he's talking about. He's also a good coach. He could coach you whatever because he understands how people learn mm. and applying that. I've been fortunate to have a lot of great coaches in my life and taking some of their style and read things from them. This is how you present material. And you have to be able to read it in people too. Every class is different. Right? We might have a, some classes we're in there and it's like, this is a group of motherfuckers. Savages. These, <laughs> these boys are ready to do it. These right. guys train. These guys are in shape. This is that. And then the next class, Half of them, our moms are like, I got this gun six months ago. And we're like, ooh, okay. So All right. And the other guys are, so it's a little different. You have to be able to understand how to coach people and, and to read people and give them material, like you're saying, at a pace, a speed they can understand, and then apply just the right amount of resistance to it. So you can still learn and get it figured out. And that's where Raul and I are really hands-on with that program. We go in there, it's like, I'm going to wrestle and tussle with a lot of the people because I'm going to give you the best look you can get. I'm the safest one to go with. Same thing when doing jujitsu. I'm a black belt. It's like, I'm the most dangerous guy on the mat here, depending on the room. Obviously, there's a lot of times I'm not. <laughs> but sometimes I'll be the most dangerous guy on the mat, but I'm the safest one to go with. Because I'm going to go just as hard as you need and give you the resistance. You're almost going to get me. Yeah, I'm going to get out. And then you got to work for it again. Same kind of thing when we go there. So you'll see me in the gravel and doing that stuff with those people and give them just enough where they can get it. And then, okay, they understand it and go. So we have, a, like you said, an interesting pace to the class. We're going to study it. We're going to learn it. We're going to do it. Then we're going to drill that thing. And then we're going to go back down. We're going to study something else, learn it, drill it, where you can understand it. You get the concept, you get some reps, now test it. And it's not all the things that won at the end and you're like, oh man, I forget it all. And now I'm just taxed and I don't, I don't learn anything from it. Yeah. You, and that's all you got was a workout for the day and you yeah. were and you know, some bloody elbows and knees and, and whatever else. Cool like, picture. You cool, some cool Instagram stuff. I, that's, that's a really good point. I, there's another point to that too. And that is the direct involvement hands-on you get with the instructors in class. It's not, you're not teaching from the back of the line, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there's always enough AIs there along, you know, whoever's teaching, there's always enough of, of you guys there to have people in the mix um, the whole time. I mean, I actually, the when I went through full contact gunfighter, I roll rolled with everybody at least twice, right? And so, that's different than I've also been involved in other things where you're paired up with somebody else the whole time. You don't necessarily go with the instructor. And that skill set of that partner that you got for the day or that you're rotating through with varies greatly. So the guy you were just with or you started with may have been way skilled and in very good shape. And so you were going at a certain pace. And if you're not, I wrestled, I did that, I've done a little bit of jujitsu. So I kind of, when you get a, your hands on somebody, you start going, I don't have to tell you. You kind of know. Like, you can feel it's like, oh, this dude's strong. Oh, this guy, this guy can move. Like, he's sensing, like, there's a push-pull here. Like, mm -hmm. I'm getting this. Like, you, you're feeling people out. And then, all of a sudden, okay, rotate. You rotate to the next person, and this person is way out of shape, has no idea what they're doing. The person that they were with, and that's not a bad thing. It's just the environment you're, you're in. The person that they were just with was maybe a little stronger or maybe the same, same as them. And then you put your hands on them, and they're realizing this is very different. They get froggy. They start to, you know, maybe they, they amp things up and a couple of things happen. Well, one, when they ramp things up and again, for the people that are listening that have done this before, like they get it and this might be very elementary, but for those people that haven't been to this and are or been to something like this and they're going to this, these are important concepts. And, and where I was going with this is I get in there with somebody who doesn't know, right. Really what they're doing. They're sensing they're all of a sudden there's a sense of anxiousness. Oh, Dude, this dude's way bigger, way stronger than me. So a couple of things start going going on right away. It's the, it's the fight or flight. The heart rate starts elevating, right? They start getting, they're breathing a little bit heavier. They're going a little harder. 
They're not thinking about the skills. They're not thinking about the thing that we're supposed to be doing. They're just thinking about holding on to your point. Yep. And the, and the person that like me, like I'm holding on now, I'm not getting anything from them except for, God, I got to keep this person away from me so I don't blow out my knee or get punched in the, yeah. you know, punched in the eye or something like that. That makes for a very miserable experience. I think for everybody in the class at the end, cause they don't really, they're not really getting what they should be getting. But that is a, that is a challenge that you have as a, as a deliverer of material and an instructor to, ha- to help manage that. But if you're going into these things and that's what your experience is uh, the whole time, you could have just made a very expensive mistake. Yep. You know, 600 bucks, what did I really get out of this? Yeah. You know, except yep. for I'm beat up, I'm sore, right? I learned a couple of things of what not to do. I don't know how to take this away and practice it. Like, and it looked cool, but I'm disappointed. Yeah. You know, or whatever else. And that, that turns into a whole other thing. But. We have a whole, uh, a big thing. What we do is, is limit the class size one and have a couple instructors there so that you don't just get lost in the shuffle and I don't see the person going and I don't realize like those two should not be going together. Or if they are, the group is small enough that we give them some context to that. Hey, I'm going to have you go against him because you're a 40-year-old woman and he is a 20-year-old dude who lifts weights every day. Mm-hmm. And this might happen. So both of you understand what the role is here and why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, hey, lady, don't try to go hard against him because then he's just going to have to go a little harder. And you panicked and got exhausted right away. And he had to match that. You're and now done you're for just, the day. Now you're just making it worse. <laughs> and now he's got to go a little harder. And pretty soon somebody's mad because the person who's all squirrely, like you're saying, gets wild. I was like, hey, I got to slam this dude now because he's going to to hurt me right. do something crazy right and so yes like there if you keep those groups smaller i think is a big thing and we and we try to limit those you know and there's people who have other models on stuff we charge a certain price and keep the group small and try to keep it intimate so i can give you real training and coaching i'm right there like you said i'm going to be hands-on with a lot of people and i'll also be right there when you're drilling with someone else you know I'll, you'll get personal attention where if i have a group of 60 people how much quality control i can might you do? talk to you for three seconds out of that six hours right and you got three seconds of my attention did that where if we got 14 people only and we're there and it's seven groups i can keep a pretty close eye on everybody and it's two of us or three of us there right and now it's there it's like well man hey you're almost getting a a one-on-one or a small group session instead of i'm at this giant seminar and there's all these people and i just got lost in shuffle i don't know any of these random people and they didn't care about me and i didn't care about them because it wasn't an intimate atmosphere it's a giant crowd and so it's like, oh, neat. Everyone likes to shoot. Cool. There's 80 of us here. And we're on this giant line. And But if it's small, then everyone gets to know each other. And we make a big point of that. And our training is community and being there. Because, hey, hey, listen, we're going to go hard. We're going to do this. So we need to take care of each other. And I said, and look around. Most of these people that are in the group are probably from somewhere in your area. Some people travel right. pretty far to right. do it and go. But I go, these are like-minded people that are in your area that are interested in the same thing to you. These are probably people you want to meet and know. You should know his name and you should... Right. And her name and you guys should probably meet and you know what I mean you're going to train together and, and get a little bond here because that's what happens when you do martial arts or hard things with people 100% you gain a bond in a little community there said so you guys probably should exchange Instagrams maybe you guys sign up and take this later on and you take the training somewhere else because like you said we take these and tell you if all you're going to do is come on a Saturday Sunday and take this two day class with me and think that you're prepared and you're ready to go you're mistaken right you know, as highly as I think of myself or any other trainer instructor, yeah, if you just do a like weekend that. course and I give you some certificate and it says, hey, you're level three, right? are you, you know what I mean? Are you level three right now? And then in two weeks, you didn't train at all and you forgot half the stuff and you got out of shape. And now what do you know? Right. Level 2.4. There's only as good as you are make... today. Yeah. So like you said, I think when you have systems and curriculums and things like that and you're like giving these sort of little deals, it's like, oh, you're just kind of 
selling certificates or belt rankings and things to do it. I get it. It's a promotional deal. It's a way to understand where you're at and, and things like that. But is that really the goal or the point or is it just to get better? You know, I think so. This is a good place to, for me to ask you this question. And that is where do you see this thing evolving? Not like, and I just mean this world of combatives as it relates to the preparedness community. I mean, combatives, mixed martial arts, the sport, that will continue to prosper. I mean, it's more popular now probably than it's ever been. And I love it because it encourages people to get involved and maybe go get fit. And, you know, maybe that kid who got cut from his, you know, his, his fifth grade basketball team, he's got an outlet now. He maybe can go do something different. Maybe it's, again, the, that individual sport aspect got lost for a while. I mean, they were cutting wrestling out of schools. Mm-hmm. I was fortunately, I was fortunate to have a very good wrestling experience. I took it all the way into like my, my later teens and to, to be, in, you know, to being a, a younger man. Cause I certainly wasn't a man in high school. That's just for damn sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, people get, it's a, it's a way to, to expose kids, you know, youth to, to different things. But my, my point is this, like on the, in the world of combatives within the preparedness community, when we start talking about blades and firearms, mm-hmm. where do you see this thing evolving to? Like how, where, where does it go from here? Because I think in the last couple of years and, and largely due to things like what Rogue is doing, Rogue Methods is doing, they're putting it out there. They're, they're showing people that, oh shit, I, yeah, I, I probably should be a little bit more fit. And I train my firearms a lot, mm-hmm. but that should be the last resort. Yep. And what happens if it doesn't go that way, mm-hmm. right? What happens if it doesn't go, like he's standing at seven yards and, you know, I'm pulling from, you know, holstering from inside the way, unholstering from inside the waistband, you know, that kind of thing. What happens if the fight doesn't go? I think people are starting to become aware that there are other problems they may want to know how to solve. Obviously, that opens up the market. And we talked about there's people doing things. They'll gladly take your money uh, to do stuff. So how do you see this coming together? Do you see... Do you see those folks out there that maybe are playing things really close to their chest starting to come together? Uh, some of those more well-known people kind of in the industry, do they come together? Do they continue to stay separated? I don't know. What are you hearing? Are, are, is, it, is it friendly out there? I don't know. Behind the scenes? Um, I mean, for me, it is. And that's just, I don't involve myself in any... Oh, I get you. The drama and the media and stuff, because uh, uh, I'll hear other guys talking about, this guy said this about him, that and is there's clear. a whole like thing, yeah. and I was like, I don't even know who those guys are. Yeah, yeah. I follow a few of the companies and the people that do what I do, and it's like, I give them likes, I watch their stuff, and I'll share with somebody else, hey, you're in this area, go do their thing. Um, but I think there there will be people that, that hold firm to their little beliefs and their thing. Mm-hmm. But similar to what martial arts was, is like, well, hey, listen, if you're going to go around telling karate is the end-all, be-all, pretty soon people are not going to come to your place. Mm-hmm. There will be some people and you'll sell some, some seats and memberships and you'll have people in your just karate dojo. But if you don't show people all the rest of the stuff, you're going to probably get left behind. So there will be some of those people that hold out, but most of those people are going to have to pretty soon accept. They say, hey, this is the reality of it now. These are a lot of what happens in these kind of encounters. It's not just shooting from a distance and we're here and it's not just fighting there. It's like, what if I didn't want to be in a gunfight and all of a sudden, I'm in a tussle, but I have a gun. And it's like, now it's a gunfight. Even without it drawn, it's like, right. there's a gun involved. Mm. How do I figure out that? Where, like you said, I don't want it to be my first option. If someone tries to you know, tussle with somebody or something, at the, I got to push them or whatever. Something happens at a restaurant. Some guy's out going out of control. I got to tackle this guy, save. He's trying to beat up the waiter or whatever. I don't want to have to draw my gun on this guy right. first thing. Right. I might get shot. Mm-hmm. Someone else might. You know, Who knows what will happen? Uh, but if you can handle it without that and like realize those intermediate little situations are there, right? There's this levels of escalation of violence. And that's where a lot of times you see a problem is if you don't know, you know, one, 
talking to people and you know 10 shooting them and you don't have any of the in-between stuff, that's where bad things happen. You shouldn't be carrying a gun. You shouldn't be carrying a gun. And you shouldn't be a police officer or you shouldn't be anyone in authority in those things. If you can't do any of these in-between levels and you know it, deep in your the inside, you know that. Even if you, oh, I lift weights, I'm tired, but, but you don't keep, can't actually fight or do the thing. You know that you don't have, maybe you got level one, two, and three, but you don't have four, five, six, seven, eight. So once it gets to the four and you start, now you got to go to 10. And you probably didn't have to shoot that guy. If you would have just handled a little better, man, if you could wrestle a little bit. And so much of that stuff is so hard to watch when it's two people and they can't hold the guy down. And next thing you know, he's up and he's got the tip and then he gets shot. It's like, if he just could have wrestled. Yeah. I oh. see that. We see that a lot now, you know, with all the body cam footage that's out there, security footage, everything's being filmed these days, right? We see that. And while a shooting from a citizen or from a law enforcement officer may have been ruled as justified, did it have to happen? Yeah. You know, and that, that, that's, those are that, different things. Those are very different things. Yeah. And I think, again, it's, it's, there's very narrow, narrow mindset. You really get caught in that stupid echo chamber that is, it is social media and thinking that you've done the right thing. And, you know, again, you're training and because you're proficient or you can run this drill this fast with your, with your pistol or whatever else, like you're, you're, you're good. You've spent, $20,000 in kit and night vision and, and everything else, but you don't understand the very basic premise of what you just said, and you carry a gun every day. Yeah. That, that bothers me. And, and it bothered me from a, from a, from the get go when I started getting into it going, dude, there's like, I get it. Like I'm all about your second amendment rights, right. And your, and your right to defend yourself. But if your answer is the gun all the yeah. time and your second amendment, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty shallow. I think you're missing a few things here. Yeah. And the fact that you mentioned, cause I agree with you a hundred percent. I wasn't sure what, what answer you're going to give me, obviously an answer and asking the question, but what it boils down to is sort of the cream rises to the top. The good stuff sort of always ends up on top and it takes a while for that other stuff to kind of settle or get found out. And the unfortunate part about it is there's going to be a lot of money spent. People are going to get a lot of money, uh, people are going to walk or they're going to receive a lot of money for teaching it or giving it. They might think they're doing the right thing. And they're probably, they're probably, I believe 99% of these folks are coming from a really good place. Like mm-hmm. the intention is good. They just don't know what they don't know. They've been indoctrinated into a, to a thing. They're being praised. Now they're making money on it. There's all of these things that reinforce what they're doing is good. Um, but it will, at some point, things are going to evolve. And I think it's part of like what you said, like, I can quietly support other companies. Like there's plenty of, think about that. I mean, we were just talking about the fitness thing. Like look at all the pie out there going, this is different than the pie chart, but think of all the pie out there. Think about all the people that need this stuff, mm-hmm. right? All the people that want this stuff. And you're, you're worried that somebody else is going to take your business. Like right here, like we just said, we could walk outside and probably throw a rock and hit five fitness businesses, mm-hmm. you know, down here. All of them are thriving, yeah. right? And all the clients are happy. Mm-hmm. So like there's that, that part of it irritates me and why we can't come together on that or why that, you know, why there's that constant talking shit or down on another company for what yeah. they're doing and doing it wrong. It, it irritates me. It bothers me. And I think it just prolongs the process it should take to get to the end. Exactly. That's <laughs> it. Because now there's a bunch of random noise in this. And so you, instead of people talking and working together and getting better at it, I've just got to downplay your thing. Because for whatever reason, I think your course is going to take away from my course, even though you're in Pennsylvania that week and right. I'm in Sacramento. Right. And we're, right. We don't, we're not, it makes zero sense. We're t- it doesn't even make sense. But yet I feel the need to say, uh, the way he holds it like this, that's not a good thing. And hit, hit that underhand, that's so stupid. And Mind your own business. 
mind your business and just do your best. Yeah. That's my advice for anyone in this industry and anybody in life and everything else. Right. Just mind your own business and do your very best. If yeah. we'd all just focused on that, instead of talking shit on somebody, we'd be in such a better place. Holy cow. Yeah. And like I said, we get through all this nonsense first and people would start to realize like, oh man, that guy's got a great idea over there and his concept, instead of being mad at it, that he thought about it or he's trained it and worked it and he's making money off it. I'm going to like go to his course or I'm going to study his stuff and I'm going to train it. I'll give the guy credit even yep. and say, Hey, I got this from this guy and check this out. This is great stuff. And I'm going to show it. Hey, information's not free. If you see something that I do and you like it, please share it with someone else and show it. I don't care. Show it at your seminar, do it at your thing. I don't want a royalty. I don't want anything else. That's fine. Don't plagiarize my stuff. Don't steal it completely. You know what I mean? Don't like take my posts and share it and then you make money off it. But like, if you see something that I'm doing at my court, like, please show that. You know what I mean? I don't care what it is. You see how many do some kind of combination of fight, show that to your students. Please do. I'm just not my thing, right? I want everybody to have it help. Like I said, there's enough pie for everyone. And if we all just help each other and do that, it's, man, it works out so much a, better. It's a novel concept. You're right. And the, all the best ones that I've ever been to, when I say best, I mean best at all the levels. Good people, good courses, uh, good follow-up, good relationships tend to have a really good reputation to exactly what you just said. I mean, I've been to so many firearms instruction courses and the best ones always credit hey, I learned this thing that we're about to go through. I really got better at this by listening to so-and-so or when I went to went to this guy's course. And then the next thing we're getting into is like, hey, I do this drill. I, re- I learned this drill from this guy. This is what I'm taking away from it. And I say, it's the only drill. I just want to give credit where credit's due kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's this, you know, it's not that they're best buds, you know, or, or whatever else. It's just telling people, at, at the same one, it's giving credit, but it's also telling people that it's okay. I'm okay with you going out and getting it from somebody else. Like we should be that way. I couldn't agree with you more. And again, my, my, my relationship with that is really, I think connected through like the fitness business and watching all the exact same shit happen over, over all the years of, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy doesn't look, there's enough pie for everybody. Yeah. Um, just, try and do the right thing by the people or by the person that's sitting in front of you, right? Whoever that is, whoever the customer is, just try to do the right thing by them and be kind, like just be, yeah. be, be nice to one another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and if you, and if, if there's a question or whatever, you should, I, I really feel the next step of this is there should be open dialogue about this. Like me asking you a question doesn't mean I'm insulting you. Like I'm not, it's, I legit have a question. And I think there's the communication process is very broken sort of in this industry as a whole. And I have no, um, I have no, you know, fantasies about it getting better, you know, and it's very idealistic to say, Scott, yeah, you could, it's very idealistic to say, but there's a lot that goes into that, whether it's ego, um, you know, bad taste in the mouth from, from other things, or, you know, a feeling that somebody's stealing their stuff or whatever else. But I think it all starts and stops with a little bit better communication and stop trying to do it all through social media. Yeah. And if we just stopped doing that, that would make it 50% better, like, like immediately. Yeah. Um, and the other part of it, part of it is, is like, if you're a consumer out there and you're seeing stuff and you have questions, you should reach out and ask and feel, not feel stupid about asking a question. Um, and I know you guys are really good about doing that, responding to people and giving them, you know, giving them the time when you, where you have the time. You've already mentioned your busy schedule, right? But where you have time responding to people and things like that. I've heard nothing but good things. You guys are, I mean, you're giving me, you know, a, too much time probably out of your day. You don't make money for sitting here doing this. That's just, a uh, again, like an insight to you are willing to provide the time to help people move down their path, whatever that is. Um, 
So here's the, the final question is, is like, if people want, you know, to find out more about you, like, mm-hmm. um, we, we mentioned the classes and things like that, but where do they go, man? How do they, how do they follow you? How do they, how do they find out more about like, what can we talk about? Like, when's the next fight? Is there one on the schedule? What's happening? I will fight <clears throat> tomorrow if they ask me to fight. You know, I'm just in that sort of position. I'm in that part of my career. My, t- I mean, I think you should always be ready and do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm later on in, in my fight career. I got some good fights in me, right? I'm not quitting anytime soon. I love that. But, uh, you know, I, I have to stay ready and be there, right? I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't go out and party. I don't eat bad food. I'm ready to go. I'll fight, you know, tomorrow. Probably welterweight <laughs> now instead of lightweight. But, um, yeah. You look just, good. I, I try. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just what I do is I, is I have a great job. I work out and train hard, then I train uh-huh. other people. So none of it's putzing. Um, you know, uh, we got a, a weird situation with the Bellator getting bought out by PFL and who yeah, knows where that's happen, at. So my yeah. contract's between two companies and who and where is it? the whole thing so we're kind of in in limbo on that stuff and see you know and if we get other offers those are on the table too they're willing to work with me and let me fight outside that so we'll see i'm open to it and and we're there so you know what i mean i tell people this i say hey it's uh the hitman name for a reason said if the the money's right i'll do it you just tell me what rules say you want to do we can do it. I love that. Grapple, box, jiu-jitsu, bare knuckles, gloves, whatever you oh, want to do. Oh, is that right? That's whatever. Hey, right? if the money's right, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't, a, not a, that I'm looking for those ones. I'm up there, uh, BKFC, December uh, 2nd, cornering a guy and doing it. And I say this, to, I told him this, and I, I say it to everybody else. I said, I don't go to fights not in shape, ready to go. I'll show up there with the trunk, trunks, mouth guard, and <laughs> just in cup, case. Just say, hey, somebody falls out and they do you it. Like, in, yeah. Yes, I will take that fight and I will do it. Love right? that attitude. Um, so, yeah, anybody that wants to get a hold of me, I keep it pretty easy. It's usually just Instagram at Hitman Moret. You can follow me on there. Find me stuff. I say, I tell people this is that follow me and then shoot me a message, right? I'll find it in that request thing eventually, siphon yep. through all the nonsense. But then, you know what I mean? I'm, uh, like I said, I'm very good at, at trying to get back to people and answer questions and things like that, whether it's related to firearms or self-defense or training or any of that other stuff or other things, right? Don't bombard me with 10,000 weird questions about your cat or, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do know, man. <laughs> so, so there's a weird, like, uh, dilemma there. Cause if give you them open, a well-formulated, well-thought-out question. Yeah, yeah, if you got something important you want to really talk to me about, whether that part of your life, you know what I mean? Shoot me a question and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you and do that. Uh, don't take that as an invite to just message me all day long. I got other things to do. Like you said, I'm busy. That doesn't mean I'm going to go interact for Boundaries, the next 45 man. minutes there. Uh, you know what I mean? I, but I, I do like interacting with people and getting out there because that's, that's what I'm trying to do in the end is just help however I can in any which way self-defense firearms martial arts all that stuff the martial arts has just been kind of my platform and my avenue to get out there and help people right I just want people to be as healthy and as happy as they can be do as much as you can achieve as much as you can go as far as you can go learn all the things you can learn right continue to just try to be the best person you can and share that with everybody else that's my goal and so this is kind of my my platform to do that right I found something I'm passionate about and that I like you know, it happens to be martial arts and, and doing that. So I share with everybody I can. Be as fit and as healthy and as happy as you can be and, and share that with everyone you can. Man, I love it. I mean, and for those people that are here in the Scottsdale or, you know, I guess, what do we call it? Maricopa County. It's massive county. But if you want a little bit of of what uh, what Dan has to offer, he's got this beautiful facility that's really coming along. Like I said, I'm I'm really anxious to watch the thing evolve into where it's taking it, plus the other training that you're doing. And you can literally get hands-on with uh, with Dan if you want to. So so check him out. Dan, man, I can't thank you enough for the time. Um, I wasn't sure how this was going to go because I had very little intel on you coming into this. I mean, you, you've, you've, for me, like this is the, the, the 
the podcast has really been about my personal journey through different things. Um, and this ticked a box for me. And, and I was hoping it would, in a, but you've ticked more than one. You've ticked several boxes for me today. Again, on my personal journey outside of the podcast itself. So I just want to, like I said, thank you again for your time and your energy uh, and your, uh, your transparency and openness. Um, it's everything I hoped it would be and more. So thanks, bud. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much. Got it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.